Hello and welcome to If Homeschool Walls Could Talk. I'm your host, Jenny Hahn. I think any of us before we have children have an idea of what it'll be like. We can't possibly anticipate how life is going to throw us a curveball or what struggles are going to come up as we're parenting. Amy Wilson is my guest on today's episode, and she shares her experiences in dealing with these curveballs and unexpected things. She's a great example of learning to advocate for your kids and find your resources. So even if you don't have dyslexic kids, I think you'll find that what she learned along the way is applicable to any parent. I hope you enjoy this episode, and thanks for listening. Amy, hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So let's start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll lead into like what made you decide to homeschool and your experiences. Okay. Um, I grew up in, I was the fourth of five children and my father immigrated from Holland when he was 16. And one of the reasons was so that he could get an education. He and his brother, my grandparents felt that was very important. And so education was always very important in my family. Um, My dad was an educator. He taught German in high school. And my mom was an RN, and that was her second degree. Um, And then all my siblings were very academic except for one brother. He was adopted. And in kindergarten, his teacher told my mom that he would always struggle. And she thought, oh, my husband's an educator. We can, you know, we'll be fine. But it came back around in my life. So speed ahead. I went to college, graduated with a bachelor's degree in family science, and then had my family. And my son, when he was in first grade, wasn't failing, but wasn't thriving. And then it kind of got a little worse in second grade. And I thought there's something going on, but he's such a smart kid. So I started looking around for what it might be that's causing his, his issues that he just couldn't thrive and things just didn't catch on right away. And one thing we discovered that he needed glasses. So at first it was like, oh, this must be the issue. We got them. It helped some, but it didn't solve the problems that we kept seeing. So then I had him tested through the school and they um, told me it's wonderful. He doesn't qualify for any services, but we want to hold him back. And that just didn't make sense to me. I thought if he doesn't qualify, if he's not far enough behind. But the time I realized that to really be um, qualify for services, you needed to be two grade levels below which was crazy to me because I thought at that point, how are you possibly ever going to catch him up? So um, I went to who I, well, I asked around who I considered to be the best third grade teacher and asked if she would tutor him during the summer so she could get an idea because I wanted a teacher to tell me. I wanted her to be in the class or to work with him and then say yes or no, he doesn't belong in third grade. So she did. And at the end of the year, she said he absolutely belongs in third grade. She was at the beginning, I was kind of concerned. But once I worked with him and saw how, you know, intelligent he was, I knew he belonged there. So he did third grade, had a fantastic year. 
But then came fourth grade and the teacher just wasn't involved and was like, he's okay. He doesn't need anything. He'll work it out. And would tell him when he'd lose his assignments, which was something he did or didn't turn them in. Just turn them in when you get to it. Well, that never happens. So I finally thought, and he just kept falling behind in his reading slower and slower. And phonics, or not phonics, fluency, they said was the issue. So I decided that I would pull him out. There was a local program a couple districts away, and I put him in there. And when I left, they said, don't expect more than 10 words per minute you know, increase. And I thought, okay. But that just gave me a drive. We are going to do it. So we worked so hard for the next, I pulled him out in December. So for the next January to June, we worked so hard. Because my plan was that in the fall, he would just go back to school. So we went back in the yeah. fall and he was retested for fluency because I thought that was just the issue. And he was 34 words more per minute. And I was kind of surprised because nobody asked me, how did you do it? Wow, look at this great accomplishment. I mean, I, I did three times what they thought I could do. Yeah. But then he slowly started to fail again. I mean, really fail this time. And a friend of mine invited me to go to a presentation by Susan Barton on dyslexia. And I thought, well, he doesn't read words backwards. But at that point, I was desperate. We'd already done a year and a half of vision therapy that didn't do anything. Yeah. So I went and through the whole thing, everything she listed, he had. I mean, he was so classic case. Anyone who was familiar with it would have known this kid's dyslexic. And that just opened up my whole world. It was like, wow. And at first it seemed like a death sentence. I thought, how are we ever overcome this? I just had no clue. Um, but I decided at that moment I needed to take him out. And then it dawned on me that my second child, my daughter, also has dyslexia. Hers manifested differently, but I could see that she was already having these issues. So I decided to just pull them both out and we were going to homeschool. And so that's what we did. Wow. Okay. So let's explore a little bit what their dyslexia looks like. Cause you're saying that they're struggling and like fluency, right? And yes. So what is it? What is, and you're saying your daughter, it kind of showed up differently. So could you dive in a little more? What does dyslexia look like for your son versus your daughter? For my son, it was a lot of executive functioning and like he would be writing a word on a page and he would misspell it four times on the same page, even though he was copying it from the board or for another piece of paper. So we also found out later that he has dysgraphia, yeah. which is um, kind of like what reading is to dyslexia, write, or to write is to writing. So yeah. um, he had that extra issue that I found out later as I started learning more about dyslexia. My daughter was just very vocal and could... I mean, like at the age two was speaking complete sentences and just, she just seemed so on top of things that, um, she just didn't, her struggles, you didn't see them as much where my son, they were just so obvious. And probably cause in the classroom too, it made it even more obvious. Yes. Right. Cause he's, he's not, this is not working in this setting. Right. Correct. And copying was very difficult where she didn't have that problem. So she, hers didn't show up as much because she could copy from the board or copy from another paper. 
where he would do it and it'd be like, okay, why is there spelled five different ways on this one paragraph? Yeah. It's so interesting because I've got dyslexic kids, Mm -hmm. but I didn't figure it out until my daughter, who's like profoundly dyslexic, like couldn't learn the sounds of letters, couldn't recognize letters, none of these things that it really that I learned anything. So when you went to the, so when you say Susan Barton, you're, is she the one who developed the Barton Orlingham method? Am I getting that? Yes. The reading Barton right? and spelling program. Correct. She did. That's right. Okay. Yeah. We end up using brain integration therapy for my daughter and that is what has helped her a lot, okay. but that's what I've heard if that most people do is the Barton method. What does that, did you end up doing that with him? Yes. I did. I did it with all three. Tell of us my more about children. that. What, what is that? So I started with my two older children first and I just started them together. Cause I thought, okay, you know, I'm, it was overwhelming to start homeschooling. And I really, I think I cried for the first year every night thinking I'm going to ruin them because I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> that sounds familiar. And I was just <laughs> like, I'm going to destroy them. And my husband just kept saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, you don't know. And I felt like <laughs> it was a fail constantly. And one of the hardest things for me was I wanted to know I was doing it right. So I went to be certified and Susan Barton is actually the person who does it with you. So you're in a room of maybe 10 people and you have to teach her. And I remember just shaking so bad thinking, what am I doing But I did it and I passed. And so that gave me some confidence to be able to say, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Um, So my youngest daughter, who at the time I didn't know she had it or not because she was only four and she's an August birthday. So I thought, okay, I'm going to start teaching her using the Barton program for kindergarten. But if I don't do well, I'll just stick her in kindergarten the next year because she's such a young kindergartner anyways. So I kind of gave myself like a way out if it didn't work. Yeah. And still feel okay about it. And how did it go? Um, She wanted to try public school in first grade. So she went and she scored very well and moved to first grade. So it didn't, it wasn't an issue. So she, do you think it's because that early intervention that you did? I totally think it is. To see how she has progressed without ever struggling with reading um, is amazing. And I know it's because we started with the program and that's how she learned. For my other two, one of the hardest things to overcome was one, a lot of the bad habits and two, the self-image that they already had that they were stupid. Yeah. Where she didn't have either of those. Yeah, that was a big concern for me with my daughter because I knew how bright she was. And I thought, I just never want anyone to tell her that she's stupid. I don't ever want her to have that perception of herself because her brain works differently than other people's. Yeah, they have special gifts. I mean, they struggle with reading and spelling, but then there's these other areas where they are just like rock stars. So my daughter, my middle daughter she actually can see things in 3D. And she yeah. um, just graduated. Isn't that wild? Year, yes, from college. And she's a fashion designer. She sews very well. But she can 
she'll watch something like a commercial when she was growing up, like for the twisty hairband things. And she looked at it and she goes, oh, I could totally make that. And then she would go and do it because she could visualize all of it, which was just incredible to me. And I remember when I learned that that was possible, I asked her and she's like, yeah, don't you? I was like, no, I can't see it. No, That's so amazing. I was just talking to one of my kids this week who's not dyslexic and we were just talking about what's the likelihood of her having dyslexic kids since she's got three dyslexic siblings, you know? And we talked about um, how you can trace it through your family tree. Even if nobody ever knew what it was, you look for inventors and artists and, you know, people like people who are highly creative, great spatial reasoning. So have you guys done that? Have you looked through your family tree to see where, where this dyslexia came from? Yes. Because once I learned that, I started looking at my life and my husband's life. It's like, okay, where did it come from? And he clearly had dyslexia and he has a brother um, that has it who, and his brother's kids have it. His mother has it. And then my brother who was adopted, I started looking at him and I thought he has it. Yeah. One of my nephews is in his thirties now and he has never learned to read. Oh, wow. What does his life look like? Like, does he, is he able to hold down a job? Does he have a good life or does he struggle? He does. He, he struggles because of his self-esteem. You know, they tried so many things that didn't work that he kind of gave up. I mean, he just, they pushed him along. He graduated from high school. Um, But he is a welder and he can make some fabulous art. So he's been able to find an area where he could use his creativity. Yeah. I think that was something that was really eye-opening for me is to realize that because of this, way their brain is different, the way it processes, they're capable of doing such amazing things. I, my daughter, when she was like four, she had a notepad, like a drawing pad because she drew all the time. So she had this drawing pad on her lap and she was drawing this huge picture and it was a girl with beautiful hair and this beautiful dress and she was drawing it completely upside down. Wow. Like the, yeah. And we, my husband, I just sat there and watched her and we're like, how is she even doing that? But to her, it didn't matter. Like she could see it perfectly from all angles. Yeah. And it just blew our minds. And we, we didn't know she was dyslexic at this point. You know, we just were like, what, what, how can she do that? You know, it's amazing. You know, this really forced me to have several paradigm shifts. One, what the idea of smart was. And two, to really step back because my kids would do things and it wouldn't make any sense to me. But I had to start asking, okay, why did you do this? How did you get to this point? And when they would describe how they got there, it made perfect sense and actually worked better than what I was trying to do. But it was just so foreign to me, you know, because my brain just did not work that way. And so when we'd come up with problems, I'm like, okay, dyslexic brains, come here. I need you to help me figure this out. And it became a challenge for them because usually they could. Yeah. I say that too. I'm like, where, who's, where's my dyslexic kid? I need them to come solve this 
issue for me and my husband too. So my husband's dyslexic and just talking about well, like, what does this look like for your kids? And my husband never thought he was dyslexic because he can read and yeah. he had no trouble learning how to read. Like reading wasn't an issue. It was, and my, we also have dyscalculia. Okay. And that runs really strong in my husband's family. So a lot of people think that means it's hard to do math. It is hard yeah. to do math with dyscalculia, but, and I don't know if any of your kids have this, but they really struggle with like telling left from right. Yes. And like reading an analog clock is like gibberish. Yes. There's all these different kind of conceptual things that are really challenging. And my husband and I, once we figured out, you know, he had, and we have dysgraphia too, which is super okay. fun. Yes. <laughs> um, kind of all the things basically. <laughs> so I'm always interested to see what does it look like in other people's homes, you know, but he, he's like, if I had known this, I would totally have picked a different career path because I did what I felt like I should based on, you know, advice from parents and things like that. Yes. But it totally was so hard. It was so much harder than it needed to be if I'd done something that worked with my natural abilities instead. Yes. And I agree with that because I grew up where you do just the conventional. You go to college, you become you know, the lawyer, doctor, you know, nurse kind of route. Teacher. And yeah. Yeah. And to have to completely say, it's okay not to do those things. That was really hard for me to come to that realization and say, you can go and do unconventional because that just was foreign to me. Um, we didn't have a lot of the creative growing up, I would say. It was all very just academics. Yeah. Well, if you, your mom was an RN and your dad was mm -hmm. a teacher. Yes. Right? Yes. So in your, because you have an ad adopted brother with dyslexia, what about your family related to by blood? Is there any dyslexia through there? No. That you know of? Mm-mm. Um, so your husband, you're saying he's dyslexic. How has that shown up for him in his life? So... I was told when I married him that he had two siblings that were like off the charts intelligent and two that were on the other spectrum that actually had special ed. And then there was him who was just in the middle. So she didn't really see an issue because she was comparing him to the, the dichotomy that was happening in the family. So he was just kind of like, oh, yeah. he's just average then middle of the road. But she was very good at keeping everything. So I went back and looked through all his report cards and I can totally see it. And then one of his brothers was in special ed for phonics. So when I saw that, it was, you know, the signs were there. They just didn't know. So he had trouble learning phonics? The brother, yes. Yeah. And so the solution that, was yeah. him in special ed. And that's, but yeah. That was what his issue was. And that was in middle school. So, I mean, yeah, once I started reading those things, like, okay, this makes sense to me. But if you don't know what you're looking for, that those are even issues, you know, you kind of do think, oh, they're just a little slower. Or, you know, I was told boys mature later. And you kind of, yeah. you know, okay, well, they're the professional. I'll, I'll believe that. Yeah. 
you said that you did vision therapy. That's something, that's the first thing somebody told me is because my daughter, I would try to like, you know, show her flashcards and stuff and she would rub her eyes, you know, and she'd say, my eyes are so tired and things like that. So we took her, we got glasses. It made no difference. It wasn't that her eyes were tired. Her brain was tired. (laughs) Like I could not figure out what I was trying to do. And it doesn't make sense. And really their brains do hurt. I remember my kids just saying, it's so much work. You know, it's so much intense work to try to read these and try to figure this stuff out. But they were tired. I mean, at the end of school, when they were in school, and you know, this is second through fourth, fifth grade. Um, and then to come home and do homework, it was a nightmare. And the teacher would say, oh, it only should take about 10, 20 minutes. It was an hour. It never was just 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. When every bit of it is a struggle, it's not going to go fast. And they're already tired from a school day. Yeah, correct. And my daughter, the my middle one, when she was struggling, their solution was to stick her in an ESL reading group. So English wasn't the issue. But that just showed me they really didn't know what to do or how to help her. Yeah. So somebody recently told me, and I don't know how accurate this is, but they said that teachers will never tell you that your child, your child's dyslexic because then it's like a promise that they can do something about it. I, I can't say for sure that that's true, but I do believe that. I think we had a friend who was my son's teacher and she really did want to help. She didn't know what to do. You know, she didn't have anything to offer besides what she was already trying to provide. I think there was a reading specialist who knew, but didn't want to open that can of worms. Yeah, that's what I've heard, right? Like, as soon as you say, hey, your child's dyslexic, they're going to need extra help. Then the school's putting themselves in a position where they have to provide that help. They just said, you need it. Correct. Now they have to provide it and you've got systems that are already overtaxed and maybe they don't, they don't even know what to do. Like you said. Yeah. Oh, it is a conundrum. Cause you see, like, you're so proactive, like, you know, you were just so aware of what's going on and trying to get them help. But what about those parents who don't know what to do next? Right. Or they can't homeschool. I feel for these parents. And, you know, one of the teachers later after I'd already taken them out and were working, they said, but we knew because you were doing something, your kids were going to be okay. So we didn't have to do anything. But I think, but that's not the case with everyone. And it still felt very lonely. You know, it would have been nice for someone to say, even if they'd said, we think it's this and we don't know what to do. Okay, then I can go from there. But it was frustrating not to have any support whatsoever. Yeah, just to be completely in the dark. I mean, in that you're saying you were like cried every night the first year. I mean, how painful and hard. Yeah, because I just thought I'm failing. I don't I really didn't know. And it's interesting because my dad at this time, they lived next to us and he had a Ph.D. in education. He had been teaching his whole career. And but granted, he was teaching German one through four. Um, So he didn't see the kids who struggled. But when I first told him, I said, dad, and I have a great relationship with my father. He was not trying to be demeaning, 
They said, Dad, I think I'm going to have to homeschool. And he said, you can't do that. He says, you don't have the training and the skills for it. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know. And I said, but Dad, I care. And so he said, well, bring them up here and I'll work with them some. So I said, great. So he brought them up and he worked with them for a week. And at the end of the week, my dad said, um, Amy, he doesn't read. And I said, exactly, Dad, he's in fifth grade. <laughs> you know, I tried the public school way and it didn't work. And he's like, okay, okay. He says, I'm going to help. We're going we're gonna to figure this out. So he was really a huge supporter. Once he realized, but he said too, you know, I'm teaching those who are college bound. I didn't have probably dyslexics coming in for foreign language, which is true because they struggle with English and then to learn a second language is really difficult. Yeah. I imagine, I wonder, because I'm just thinking about my kids. So my oldest is dyslexic and she loves foreign languages and she's almost fluent in Spanish. Awesome. and can write and can read and do all these things. So I'm just wondering what makes that different from my other daughter who really like has no interest because it just feels so overwhelming and hard. You know, she's like, there's just no way, but she loves sign language. Yes, she's my- not learning, you know, like it has its own syntax and its own grammar and everything, but it's visual. Like it's this visual, like kinesthetic language which yes. just works so much better for her brain. My two oldest did sign language and That's loved it. it. But yeah. yeah, foreign language, they want to stay away from. So interesting about foreign language, my husband in high school took Spanish and he was not getting it. And the teacher finally said, you just need to transfer out. This is not going to work for you. And so they did because otherwise he was going to fail. And then he served a mission for our church in Argentina and learned Spanish. Yeah. He was really good at auditory. So when he was with people, he could pick it up very easy, you know, being immersed in it instead of just from a book. From a book wouldn't yeah. work for him. And he came back and he talked to the teacher and she's like, wow, how'd you learn Spanish? In <laughs> <laughs> his mind, he's like, not from you. <laughs> But yeah, that's true. If all you're doing is listening and speaking, that's, yeah. And my oldest is very auditory. My middle daughter is not, and I am not. So like my husband will listen to sports, like on the radio. And I love football. I can't figure out what's going on. It is so hard for me. So in our family, I I got this from Laura Rogan. She also does a dyslexia program called Wired for Reading. And I took her trainings. But she calls them frazzles and dazzles, which I loved. And she says, all of us have them. And so that's something we kind of talked about. So instead of saying, I'm not good at this, that's my frazzle. And I started to tell the kids, you know, I have frazzles. Listening to the sports thing, I I don't know what's happening. I'll have to say, who has the ball? Did we get it? Was that a touchdown? And my husband will say, yes, you know, because he can just (laughs) fall through and get it. And I'll say, that's dad's dazzle. He's really good at that. But so that they can see that we do all have them. It's not just you're good at everything. We all have our dazzles and frazzles. I love that. Who's the, I'm actually going to write that down. What's Her the name, name of that person? Her name is Laura Rogan. And she does Laura Wired Rogan. for Reading. And she is out of Seattle. And her approach, Susan Barton is an individual approach. She goes in and teaches teachers 
how to do it in a classroom setting. And she is fabulous to watch. She is dyslexic. And I went to one of her trainings and I remember she was trying to tell time on an analog clock and each hour was a bird. And she, she finally just stopped and she says, it's, it's half past a feather. I can't even tell. Could someone please tell me what time it was? And I remember thinking, here's someone successful, because this is at the very beginning of my dyslexia journey, who can't tell time and it's okay. She still made yeah. something of herself because I needed to hold on to those successes of others to give me kind of confidence that my kids were going to be okay. So I read this amazing book a few years ago called The Dyslexia Empowerment Plan, and it was very much written to families in public school, but it was a man whose mother was an amazing advocate for him, like you have been for your kids, but they wanted to stay in the public school system. So the whole book is on how to navigate the public school system and get the help that you need. But what was so amazing is his dyslexia was so profound and the therapies helped, but they realized it was, he was never going to read like anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like it was just so profound and he wanted to be a lawyer. So he had all the testing and diagnoses under his belt so that he could go to, you know, the LSAT testing and college entrance, you know, all these things and basically say, these are the these are the things I'm entitled to based on this diagnosis because of, you know, um, the, I forget what the act is called, but that you, by law, he can get the help that he needs. Yeah. Something like that. But, you know, at a a college and graduate school level, he was able to get the help that he needed to have someone take notes for him in class and extra time on exams and all these things and he's an amazing lawyer. Like there was no reason why he couldn't be a lawyer because he had this roadblock, you know? And so, and the book of course is so well-written and beautiful. And at the end, he showed an example of a memo that he'd written and then what his secretary rewrote. (laughs) So it would work better. And it was just amazing, you know, like, and the content of the memo was stuff I couldn't even understand because it's all legal language. But he's like, this is how I write. And so I hire a secretary who knows how to clean this up to to send out. And I just thought that was so fascinating that you can work with this. Like it's it can't be something that will hold you back if you don't want it to. Correct. And I will say, um, once my kids got into college, because both my oldest did, well, all three now are in running or have done running start. Once we got to that level and we, you have to get a diagnosis within three years of attending college. So I did go and get those done. But once they have that, Clark College in Vancouver and Lower Columbia College in Longview have been fabulous. They oh, that's good to know. Totally. I mean, especially LCC. We went there and they looked at it and they said, okay, it looks like you need someone to take notes for you. You need extended time. Would you like a recorder in class? Would that help? You know, so it wasn't just someone to take notes. If it was better for you to listen to it, you could do that too. But they, fabulous. Anything they needed to help them be successful, they were given. That, okay, that's exactly difference. what I need to know. 
Yeah. Yeah. So within three years, you say? Within, within three, three years. Because they want it to be current. I mean, we know they're not going to like miraculously grow out of it, but within three years, you have to do it. It's very expensive, but to get them the help they need is so worth it. My daughter, who's more profoundly dyslexic, because my oldest has done Running Start and has really been successful in that kind of setting. But like she wanted to get a job through the public library system, mm-hmm. like through, um, you know, Fort Vancouver libraries. So she did great on all the interviews, did great on the written portion. And then they had this test where they had to organize like call numbers okay. in the Dewey decimal system yes. and she failed it. She failed that. Like she could not, it was just like a jumbled mess of numbers to her. And we'd never really realized that that would be an issue because she's so, so focused on written language. Like she's just very articulate and that's what she's always loved and just kind of hobbled her way through math. But when it came to like organizing all these numbers, it was like, oh, (laughs) she could not do it. So she didn't take any math classes, hasn't yet. So we're like, well, you're going to probably want a diagnosis before you do that. But my 13-year-old, my husband and I were just talking about this. We probably should get her an official diagnosis before she applies to Running Start. So even what if if she doesn't want help, she doesn't have to, but she could have access to it at least if she wanted it. Absolutely. So my son, he loves to, he gets all his books on audio and and he kind of speeds it up, you know, so he can do his reading real fast. But my middle daughter, she's like me. Auditory just doesn't work. She says, I have to see it. And so it's very slow. I mean, she reads very slow. But she says, if I don't, I don't don't remember anything that's said. So she has it that she can have it on audio, but it just doesn't work for her. And it was interesting when we went in with her because I thought she'd want exactly the same things as my son but she didn't. And she would try things. She's like, that just didn't work for me. This works. So to have them to be able to be an advocate for themselves too, to be able to say, okay, these are my frazzles. These are my dazzles. And this is what's going to work. I was thinking about the auditory stuff. Like some of my kids, um, if I tell them instructions, if I say, Hey, I need you to go to your room, grab all those socks on your bed, stick them in this basket in the hallway, then come back. It's she'll, she'll just disappear and come back a half hour later with like, you know, a stack of books or something. Yes. Oh, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, she's like, I don't, what was I supposed to do? Like, you know, and she's not like she wasn't paying attention. She just that all that auditory information just couldn't process it. And my husband and I always laugh because he can never remember anybody's names. Yes. Like if somebody introduces themselves and their names, he will never remember their names. But he realized that when he would go into a coworker's office and if they have a nameplate on their desk, he never forgets their name because he sees the name and sees the person. See, I'm the same way. I have to see it. And when someone has like an unusual or unique name, I have to, in my mind, spell it or I can't remember it. I just, I have to visually. You have to make it visual. So visual. Yes. So, I mean, when I learned about dyslexia, it was through a a woman named Diane Kraft who developed a program for dyslexia. 
And she talks about auditory dyslexia, visual dyslexia, and then written dyslexia, which, you know, we know there's dysgraphia, which is Mm -hmm. its own thing, but she kind of differentiates between auditory and visual and visual is more like reversal of letters and like not being able to tell the difference between different letters, that kind of thing. And the auditory is what we've been talking about, right? Like you're just not processing information that you hear. And for like some of my kids, it's like phonics makes no sense to them. It just doesn't make any sense. And they can't remember any of the sounds any of the letters make. Like they're just like word blend, you know, digraphs, things like that, you know, like vowel sounds. They're just like, this is gibberish to me. And so all they do is just memorize words. And they just are building their bank of words they have memorized because they can't decode a word. Yeah. They just can't do it. They're like this. Absolutely. So you describing, you know, listening and it not making any sense. Do you think that you might have some auditory dyslexia and maybe that's carried down too? You know, looking at my family history, because we've gone back and looked, there isn't any. Um, so maybe so- not then. Maybe it's just a frazzle. Like you said. Yeah, because I've thought maybe there is something here, but it just hasn't manifested itself in any beyond me. You know, I I definitely think I probably had some, but beyond me, there wasn't anything. But we're Swedish and the king of Sweden is dyslexic. And so you never know. You never know. But (laughs) when we were studying this at first, you know, before reading and writing, the dyslexics were probably the most sought after because of how. Yeah, I've read the exact same thing. Yeah, how creative they were. It's just not until the spoken and written word started to become, you know, a bigger player. So it's interesting. But, you know, there, they, because the king has it, their school systems teach to it and help. I didn't know that. Huh. So I. There is a term that I learned recently that I realized, okay, I love this neurodiversity, that everybody's brains are different and work differently. And, you know, you're just talking about frazzles and dazzles. To me, that all fits into the fact that our brains are so different from each other. We can't, it's ridiculous to expect everybody to think and process the same. You know, and would we want to? My son growing up, he loved Pokemon, and I don't know a lot about it, but each. Pokemon has its frazzles and dazzles, basically, you know, on the card, there's values and you play a card depending on, you know, if you think you can beat someone else's um, frazzles or dazzles. And I thought, you know, that's what life is. And when you put your hand together, you don't want all the same card. You want the different skills that people have. And I said, that's what life really should be about is that we surround ourselves with people who are different, who has different strengths, um, because then as a unit, we can get so much further. And so that's how we kind of took our family, is that as a family, we all come with our different dazzles and frazzles, but between all of us, we can do anything. It's so true. I love that. That's beautiful. I want to write that down. just have that somewhere like we all we need these different strengths and weaknesses because they complement each other 
And the more I read about people who are successful, many of them say, don't be the most successful in the person in the room because then you stop learning and growing. You know, instead of being intimidated or that I don't belong, you know, what can I learn? What am I going to gain? And I wholeheartedly believe that and love to be around people who are just on a higher plane than me. So I can just soak in all the knowledge they have. There's a great book. I don't know if you've ever read Mindset by Carol Dweck. I love that book. She exactly. Yes. It's not a great book. Just the whole idea that of having a growth mindset that you're not fixed. You're not a fixed point in time. Yes. But you can always be growing. And by Angela Duckworth. And I'm trying to remember what the title of her. She goes. Um, Does she write grit? Yes. I love grit. That's a great book too. Those are great yeah. companion books, really. Absolutely. Have you heard of Amy Cuddy? She wrote Presence. Oh, we own that book. I haven't read it yet. Another really, really good one. I'm going to write that down, too. I can see it on my shelf. I'm sitting in our bonus room where all the bookshelves are. So I'm like, okay, got to hit that book. But I feel like Mindset and Grit are books that I've quoted so often to my kids that they're like, yes, mom, I know, I know, I need to have a growth mindset. I recognize this. I'm just having a pity party moment here. Yeah, those two, I think every parent needs to read. I agree. They're fantastic. And then there's another one called Outliers. Um, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell. That's, yeah, that's a Malcolm Gladwell book. I read that years ago. That's a really cool book. And that one too, that, you know, it's not just all about talent. Sometimes it takes the grit, you know, to make it through. Yeah. And the actual time, putting the time in to get really amazing at something. So interesting. So tell me where your kids are now. Like how did the rest, did you homeschool them till they went to running start? Like give us like a little scope of where everybody's at. What did it look like for them? Okay. So my son, when he was a sophomore in high school, and I did homeschool until we went to Running Start, but he Running Start didn't even seem possible to me. That was still a dream. I just thought, we're not there. But we had a couple come and talk to us, um, to a group of youth, and tell them about Running Start. And I just, I longed for it, but knew it just wasn't possible. But then that night at dinner, my son said, I think I want to do running start. And I'm thinking, whoa, dude, you're not ready. You're not prepared for that. And, but I thought, I don't ever want to discourage him. So I thought, okay, he'll take the entrance exam. He won't pass. And I won't have to be the bad guy. So we went the next week and he passed the reading, but he didn't pass the writing. But he said, "Um, I just didn't understand what they're wanting. But now that I know, I'll go online. I'll take a few more practice tests and I want to do it next week. And I'm like, um, okay, let's try it. And he passed, you know, he said, I just didn't understand what they wanted. So he says, I want to start. So in the fall, when he started, I was so nervous. I just thought I do not, this is permanent. You know, this goes on your record. Um, so I was very cautious as to the teachers we picked um, I don't know, know if you're familiar with Rate My Professor, 
but it's where students yes. rate professors. Okay. So I went through, I read every response. And of course you have to look at those. You just don't, I didn't want a teacher just because he's hard. I wanted a teacher that was, unf I didn't want a teacher was unfair. So I had to look through yeah. the reviews. Why didn't they like this teacher? Um, and then I picked kind of, you know, we took one or two core classes, but then I tried to do some fun classes so it wouldn't be such a heavy load. And in the end, through his running start, he was on the honor roll. And I just thought, that's so cool. This is like crazy how this happened. And then my daughter, uh, my middle daughter, she was in ninth grade and we were doing at that time some virtual online classes and it just, it wasn't working at all, but I knew I couldn't send her back to high school because it was just too hard to get the accommodations that she needed. And so I, we asked the local high school, we said, would you allow her? We've homeschooled, you know, she's very bright for her to do running start a year early. And they're like, sure. So she went a year early. Um, and actually it was a quarter late. It was, she didn't start till January. So she was one quarter late, but she took 17 to 21 credits every single quarter. So she could graduate and make up that one quarter. And people, oh my so she graduated from LCC at the age of 16 and people say, Oh, you're so smart. And she will tell them, I am not smart, but I'm persistent and I have grit. I mean, she would, you know, I have grit. You tell me not to do something and I'll show you. I will do it. And <laughs> she, that's just how she is. And I think for me, sometimes I held my kids back because of my fears and I didn't believe they can do things. So an example of that was, and it doesn't have to do with dyslexia, but she, when she was born, she had acid reflux really bad but grew out of it. Didn't think much about it, but she was taking voice lessons in her early teens and started to go hoarse. And we found out she had nodules on her vocal cords, probably from the acid reflux. So she had to quit singing. Oh. And so one day when she was at LCC, she came home, she said, you know, I did. I told them that I would like to sing the national anthem at the basketball game. And I said, why would you do that? And in my mind, it's my own fears. I'm thinking, that's a hard song. Professional singers have screwed up on that song. You know, I, and she's like, what, you don't think I can do it? And that caught me off guard because that in essence, that's what I was saying, but that wasn't my thought process. It was more coming from a place of fear. I didn't want her to fail. Um, yeah. but she did it and she did a beautiful job and they invited her back to do it for the regional, um, baseball game later on in the year. So I've tried to really not let my fears get in the way, but I tell them sometimes, okay, here's my fears. You got to just know it's coming. And then you guys decide because it's part of who That's I am. That's a really good policy. I just think I, I need to be honest and authentic to who I am. I can't pretend I'm not scared, but they know, okay, that's just mom. <laughs> I think that's really common though. I think that we sometimes get in their way, Absolutely. you know, because we're afraid. Yeah. My daughter who <laughs> didn't do math for a couple of years, this is my second daughter. She just refused and it was becoming this huge point of conflict in our relationship. And so I just let it go. She 
now is in running start and is trying to get caught up and just has been really intense. And then she's like, I'm going to take astronomy. And I said, uh, you know, that's really math intense, right? Like math, lots and lots of math. And she's like, what, you think I can't do this? And I'm like, kind of. <laughs> and, and she's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm like, okay. You know? And then I end up apologizing to her later because she got an A. She did a great job. You know, and I just thought, what if I, how often do I do this? Do I just totally get in the way? Yeah. And, you know, growing up, failure was not an option in my family. It wasn't spoken, but we kind of all knew it. And so I've come from that, but I don't believe that anymore. If we don't try and fail sometimes, we really don't learn as much as we can. And that is still hard for me. I hate failure, but I've tried to embrace it more. And uh, my son learned fail is first attempt in learning. And so when we fail, that's what we say, well, that was our first attempt in learning and it's okay. I like that. That's super cool. I really like that. Because it implies there'll be more attempts. Yeah. That's just the first crack at it. And failure really is not continuing on. My daughter, the one who was six or started when she was 15, she didn't do very well her first quarter. And I thought, oh, we made a huge mistake. But it took her time to figure it out. And I think both of my kids that way. It, transitioning is hard for them. And it's like, okay, this is all new. But once they get it, they do well. And then from then on, she did very well. But at first I was like, maybe we shouldn't continue. But, you know, she was determined. And I'm so proud of her for that. She overrode my fears. That's really cool. And then so, my youngest, oh, sorry. My youngest is doing running start. Yeah. She just finished her first year. Okay. So your son, he finished running start with honors. So what's uh-huh. he doing now? He, um, from there, he served a two year mission for our church. And then he is going to be graduating this year, um, with his bachelor's degree in graphic design. Oh, cool. That is awesome. Where did he serve? his mission in San Diego, San Diego. I was just wondering if he ended up learning a foreign language. So he to ask. didn't want one. So yeah, we knew that wasn't going to happen, but he did work <laughs> ASL just for a little and, bit. And he loved that. Yeah. And then your daughter has done fashion design. This is the second daughter. This is the second daughter. She graduated in April and it's her degree is called apparel construction and entrepreneurship. So it's a dual degree in fashion and business. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And you know, with her then, business, some of the classes, like she had to have accounting and she's like, this makes no sense. It's so hard, but she knew enough that she went and said, I need a tutor. She signed up twice a week to do it. And then the tutor she had, um, they didn't need him. So they were going to let him go and just give her a different one. And she went and said, this guy gets me. He understands and he teaches me the way I learn. I need him. So they allowed him to to continue to work with her. That's really cool. What a, she's such a good advocate for herself. She is amazing. She just, I think, where did you come from? Cause yeah, that, yeah, this is exactly what I want my, my daughter to learn. She's my four, I have four girls and then two boys on the end. 
and she's number four girl and she's very much, well, she's 13 and she's very much in the, like, I don't want anyone to know I struggle. Like, I just want this. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Like, and I'm, and she didn't always feel like that. She's always been very open about being dyslexic and the cool things she can do. But just since becoming a teenager, she's just like wants to lock it down. And it's hard to be different. That's really yeah. hard, especially at that age. I tried to help my kids to embrace it. Um, and it was interesting because my son, when he was taking his speech class at Clark College, he decided to do one of the speeches on dyslexia because one, they could have these, um, the littler note cards, but because of his disability, he could have a bigger one. And so he says, you know, I'm going to explain to them what it is and why it's hard and what's happening. And afterwards, the teacher just said, thank you so much for educating us. So he found as he shared, um, and even through, he went to an ACT camp and there was a girl that was struggling and he said, I have dyslexia. And she was really, so do I. Because he was so willing to talk about it, he has helped so many people. So right away he decided, maybe this is why, you know, that I can help others. Um, so that helped him get over that I don't want anybody to know as he did share and had positive experiences. That's really cool. And that really applies to anything, right? Like if you struggle with mental illness or physical issues or, you know, whatever it is, when we're open about it, it like creates bonds and it heals and it, it lifts other people up, you know? Yes. And then it's not the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Cause I don't want to offend the person, but if they're willing to talk about it and there's, I can't think of his last name or his first name, but Moody is his name. He wrote a book called The Short Bus. Um, there is language in it, but we heard him speak once. Um, and one of his analogies that I love, he talked about being on a trampoline. And he says, you can only jump so high when you're by yourself. But if you have a buddy with you and they jump and time it just right, they can shoot you up in the air. And he said, isn't that what we should be to each other? is that we're the one that helps them rise so much higher than they could ever go by themselves. And I often That's think it. of that and think, okay, I need to be that kind of a friend. That's and awesome. Parents. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. And parent, right? Like sometimes yeah. you need to be the buddy on the trampoline. That's so cool. So the third daughter, does she know what she wants to do? Is she still pretty early in her journey? She loves to sing and act and she loves language arts. So somewhere in there, we'll see what happens. I don't think she's exactly sure yet. Well, she's pretty young. She's got time. Yeah. And what about you? What's the plan? I mean, you're kind of looking at the end of your homeschool journey here. Yeah. This last year was the first time I haven't homeschooled in years because my youngest was doing running start. So I've started tutoring um, a couple students to fill my time and then kind of doing things I just never had time for. Like I'm learning to sew. Um, I love to do crafts. So just to have a little more time for those things that I just kind of put on the back burner for years. Yeah. Now you have some time for yourself. So do you have any advice or anything that you'd want to share? We've talked about a bunch of different stuff, but What's something that you would, if somebody were to come to you and say, I think I've, my child's dyslexic, 
I'm going to homeschool. What do I do? Because not everybody's going to have like time or means to go get trained. Right. Or maybe, I don't know, like what would you, what advice would you give them? One, I would say, don't sweat it. I was so worried and over, I think I tried to mimic public school and that just didn't work. You know, I wanted them to stay at the same pace and do the same things. I needed to find what worked for us. And that changed from year to year. Be flexible. There were years it's just like, okay, that, that didn't work so well. Let's try again. And almost every year was like that. Okay, let's reboot. Let's restart. What are we going to try again? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't measure their success as the schools measure success. And my number one goal was I wanted them to love learning because if they love learning, they're going to go out and do it. And my kids do, they'll come and they just want to share things with me. And that's such a joy to me when they learn something new and can't wait to share it with me. That's awesome. That is great advice. It's, I, when I hear anxious perspective homeschoolers or anxious current homeschoolers, yeah, you just almost want to like just suck all the anxiety out and be like, it's going to be okay. Like it really is. Yes. And, you know, and I heard about the name of your podcast, you know, Walls Could Talk. I thought, wow, I would love to be able to go back. And not just the failures, but to witness a lot of the successes we had that I think we sometimes forget about, you know, but we need to really celebrate those things that happened. And when we had a really good day, hold on to those and bring them back to your memory often because those are the things that they'll remember. And they keep you going like those, those really great moments. And you're like, okay, I can keep going. Yes. And I think their relationships really form very strong bonds when you homeschool. And especially for my kids, because all three had dyslexia, they could relate to each other. And, you know, if you have a child that struggles, really find their dazzles and help them to build those up. Because that could be the entryway to a whole new world for them and where they do have success. I, it's very, I think success breeds success and it's hard when they have so many failures. And when we only focus on the academic where they struggle, they don't see hope or that there's going to be, um, you know, a path for them. Yeah. That can't be the only measuring stick is how well you read or write. Yeah. After we hit stop on the recording, Amy and I kept talking about our experiences. And one thing she mentioned that I want to be sure and include is that if you decide to do diagnostic testing to check out Susan Barton's website for the right questions to ask of a testing center, you don't want to spend money to get a diagnosis and not have them cover all the bases. So Thank you, Amy, for that little nugget of wisdom there. And thank you for coming on. I'm so inspired by your efforts and your determination. It was wonderful to hear from you. As always, I'm Jenny Hahn. You can find me on Instagram at if homeschool walls could talk, or you can email me at homeschoolwalls at gmail.com. I am looking for more people to interview for the podcast. So if you know of anyone or would like to come on, please reach out. As always, reviews on Apple's podcasts are appreciated. And thank you, my listeners, for joining us today on this episode of If Homeschool Walls Could Talk.